Hey guys, I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative. And I'm Esther, owner of Sereth Design. Welcome to Better, the brand designer podcast. We love being transparent, honest, and down to earth on this podcast. We consider you guys such an important part of our episodes. We're all about broadcasting conversations that support our design community, uncovering industry secrets, and offering actionable advice. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey guys, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer Podcast. We are super excited, as always, to be hanging out with you guys. And welcome to episode one of season five. We're super excited to be here. Woohoo! As always, you guys know we love our intro questions. So Esther wrote this amazing question. So let's just go ahead and dive into that. What is your favorite thing about your workspace, Esther? So I wish all of you listeners could see my screen right now. Jen can see it because we're obviously on video, but I have plants all over my office and I am obsessed with them. I have three in the corner over here. One's a huge, tall fig tree. And then I have a pothos behind my computer. I have a Swiss treat plant. Honestly, I think I have about 10 plants in here and it gives me so much life because when you're stuck looking at the computer all day, you need like all that joy and life around you. So they bring me happiness. That makes me happy. I honestly have a black thumb. I I can raise a small human, but give me a plant and it's going to die. It's so oh my sad. Gosh. I'll teach you all the tips that you need. It's not as difficult. <laughs> do. Or I can just, I'll send you like a snake plant because those oh. you cannot kill. I feel like I've killed cacti. Like it's one time I tried to grow a strawberry plant and then it like died. And so I threw it in the yard. Okay. I didn't, I don't know anything. Don't feel bad about that. It started like flourishing as soon as I stopped taking care of it. And I was like, I feel like there's a life lesson here. (laughs) I feel like that's probably what Um, happened with your cactus too, is that you might've like over, like overwatered it. I know. There's definitely a life lesson there. Like (laughs) sometimes in life, you kind of just need to let things be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be a future (laughs) snake plant mom. My question for you, do they have names? They do. So our tall one, the fiddly fig is Ming because Yao Ming is taller than me and my fiddly fig is taller than me. I love it. You know, I feel bad because I can't remember all of them. I have a note in my phone but my birds of paradise is Sylvester. You're amazing. <laughs> I can't remember what the other ones are, but that will be like That's a little taste. segment that I'll let you know next week. Okay, good. We'll have to keep up with like the growth of your plants um, yes. every week. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love it. Okay, so my favorite thing about my workspace right now is that there is a solid door between it and my one and a half year old toddler. <laughs> That is a great thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I know that's maybe not what the question was about, but basically I had to recently move from my beautiful office that had glass French doors. um, It's kind of like a little library in our home to a corner of our master bedroom because the glass was just not conducive to toddler wanting to play with mom. And it's just found that it's a little bit easier on him to not see me all the time. And it's also easier Mm -hmm. for me to ignore him if he doesn't like go to the door and it's like, mama, you know, because he's starting to say words and it's just the separation is just like a healthy separation. So it's not very aesthetically pleasing right now. And I have a lot of pillows around me just for the sound, a little makeshift recording studio, but that is a great thing. That door... Mm, any parent out there knows a door. And even if you're not a parent, if you've got a husband that's loud, put a door there. You oh know? my gosh, my husband's <laughs> always on his calls for work. And I'm like, I am so glad that I am able to close this door as well. I also <laughs> does he feel work like, from home? Yeah, he does work from home too. Yeah. I also feel like right now it makes so much sense that you're just kind of in your in your master bedroom because everybody's working from little random corners of their home. Yes, I feel very much displaced as the rest of the world does as well. Um, But it's okay because my office is now like a beautiful playroom for him. I recently reorganized it and I was like, wow, look, my life's changing. My baby's growing up and now he took over my office and it's filled with toys. But Now I have a question for you. (laughs) Yeah. 
Have you ever locked yourself in your closet or a bathroom so that you have like two minutes of quiet? You know what? I've read about that a lot. I don't think I've actually done that. But when he was a newborn, I did like lay him down in the crib and like step away for a few moments. Whenever I'm in the bathroom by myself, it's usually because I'm trying to go to the bathroom by myself and I just and don't want work. him in the room with me. <laughs> and you, I see like these fat little fingers like shoving themselves like, underneath the door and like wiggling. And I'm like... This is parenthood. So you have no personal space. (laughs) I had to step away and I don't know. Now he's, he's pretty independent now. I mean, he's 16 months old. So maybe once this is released, it'll be a different story. And I'll be sharing with you guys all about how I uh, hide in my closet from my I wonder if one day both you or I will have like a full on office, fancy, like not in your home kind of thing. Yeah, I don't I, mind having it in my home, but I, it I would be cool. I want to go to a co-working space. I think that would be so cool to like rent out a desk at a co-working space just for the like human interaction. Yeah. Or even like having like a studio with like stuff for like photo shoots. And I don't know, I daydream about how I would do the interiors. Um, yes. Which would be fun. <laughs> uh, so when you come visit Chicago, we can go work at a co-working space together too. Okay, I'm so excited. (laughs) Oh, we're planning our Chicago trip, guys. Oh my goodness. That was a great great. intro question. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about our topic today. This is something that kind of came about due to personal experience on my part. And I want to preface this by saying that it's not a bad thing when a client doesn't love the work the first time. It doesn't mean that you are not a good designer. It doesn't mean that they are a difficult client. It's like, it can be easy to step into one of those two stories when something like that happens. And I will share my experience and share how, you know, a lot of those like kind of limiting beliefs came up for me. But this is a situation that happens in every type of one-to-one service business ever. When you are working with human beings, things can get messy and confusing and there could be a misalignment or miscommunication. And so just before we dive into this conversation, I did want to share that um, it's okay that this happens and it's not a bad reflection on either you or the client. Sometimes it's a bad reflection on the client, but most of the time you can work through it. Yeah. I love that preface too, because I want to echo all of that. I think that a lot of times we can be really hard on ourselves and think, okay, well, somebody doesn't love what I've put out into the world and think it's like a problem. But really that's kind of just the reality of working through things. You work through things in your relationships with your friendships, with your spouses, with your parents, like every relationship you have. So why would a client designer relationship be different? I love that so much. Um, There's so many parallels within the work that we do to outside of business relationships. I know I always draw the the similarity between courting clients, like dating somebody, but any type of interpersonal situation that you've worked through in the past, remind yourself of that and draw on that, like those lessons learned and you can apply them to your business. Same goes for the opposite. If you work through a client situation and have to deal with a friend or a partner or something like that, then you can draw on some of the lessons that you learn there. Totally. I love being a business owner. It makes me a better person. <laughs> well, I think that, and this is something that Jen and I were talking about right before we hit recording. I wish we had recorded it, but like there's so many life lessons to draw through every experience, right? Like whenever you go through any type of struggle, it's like, how do you learn from it and become a better person and a better designer as you keep moving along? Yes. So let's talk about. Yeah, tell me personal experiences. Yeah. So I'll just kind of share my experience. And then, Esther, you can hop in and share a time when a client didn't like something that you made and then kind of what you did. So we're kind of going to do this a little bit more workshop style where I'll share my story, share about how I felt in the moment and how I reacted, and then how I kind of worked through that and then what the solution was and where we're at now. So I was working with a client recently. 
So we did the brand strategy where I do visual direction, I do mood board, color palette, et cetera. I did notice that some of the feedback on the visual direction was a little tentative, like, oh, I'm not exactly sure how that font would look and my name, but I trust you. So let's just move forward. I think, you know, going back and looking at the situation, I probably should have dug a little bit deeper there where there was hesitation before I I dove into like full on design, but things were moving quickly. I wanted to get it approved. And so we just kind of moved forward. I designed the initial concept presentation and the client very respectfully and very like just in a, in a good, like positive way came back and, and shared that it just really wasn't feeling like the right direction for her at all. Like I really missed the mark on what her expectations were. And so I felt very confused. I felt frustrated. I felt like I had failed her. I had all these things come up like, oh, you know, man, I'm losing my touch or like what's going on? Like usually clients love what I make. Like I started having all of these self-doubt beliefs coming up. And um, I was just really like devastated that like I hadn't delivered her an amazing experience. That is like probably the number one thing. And I remember like I shed tears over this guys. Like there are some boxer recordings to my coach where I am just like sobbing into boxer. And I think I like even got a little emotional, like talking about it with Esther, even after I had like processed it a little bit. So, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but in the moment it felt like just complete, like falling flat on your face in front in front of a huge audience. Like I felt embarrassed, like this was a high ticket client. I felt like she wasn't going to enjoy the rest of the process. Like, so there were just a lot of feelings and emotions that came up for me. And so I took a step back and I thought, okay, here's the feedback that she's giving me. I think I might have given her something that was something that I wanted more than what she wanted. And I realized like, oh my goodness, maybe I didn't listen enough in the questionnaire, in the brand workshop, in the brand strategy. I didn't pursue some of those doubts or questions or concerns. And so this has now led us to this moment. So I think Jen a year ago would have really like put it on the client and been like, oh, well, you know, I'm so confused. I don't know. Like I didn't get the right direction from you. And now thinking to where I am now, like I am the expert and it should be my job to lead the client through the process and listen and understand their perspective. That being said, there are a lot of situations in which you do everything the right way and the client still doesn't like it. And we'll talk about that later. But I think in this particular situation, I did do some self-reflection and think like, oh, you know what? I probably should have dug deeper here. So just to like wrap up the story, I shared with her, I was like, Hey, let's get on a call. I think we need to talk through this on the phone on zoom. And so we did, and it was such a productive conversation. She was so sweet. She even apologized to me for, you know, feeling like she didn't give the right feedback or whatever. And I was like, Oh my goodness. No. Like, I just want you to have a good experience. We really connected. It was a wonderful conversation. And I actually shared my screen and did some live design with her, which I don't typically do because it's a little intimidating for the client to see the artboards. If anyone's artboards are like mine, I don't know about you, Esther. (laughs) Oh yeah. Totally. It's a little overwhelming to see, but I actually recently have been kind of opening up my process a little bit more and sharing more of the brand development with my clients. Um, And that's a whole other conversation about like making the one concept method work for you. But um, she loved getting to see the back end and she loved getting to see me design. And she even had a couple comments where it was like, oh, wow, like it's really cool to see like that you have this skill. And of course I'm an illustrator, you know, just like moving things around thinking like, oh man, I hope that she likes this. You know, I really want to impress her. I really want her to have a good experience. And she was sitting there looking at like me using the pen tool and stuff thinking like, holy crap, I could never do this. So it was almost a cool opportunity to like show her more of my expertise and value that I didn't even expect. So that was a really cool thing. Eventually we worked through it. I showed her some more options. We got to a a place where we both loved the design. It really evolved, but she was 
just so ecstatic and so excited um, about it. And so it did end up working out. I didn't need to cry about it, but I did. It was really emotional. It was pretty intense. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing the story. I feel like first I have so many thoughts to like say that I didn't want to interrupt, but I feel like first of all, I want our listeners to know and you as well, like those feelings that you feel when that happens, they're so validated. Like those are real feelings that you have. You kind of feel a little bit attacked or you feel like not good enough. Like those are real feelings. But on the other side of that is knowing, okay, I can take this and I can look at it from the client's perspective and they likely aren't trying to attack me. They're not trying to be mean or say like, oh, the work that you do is terrible. All they're trying to get across is like, this doesn't quite resonate with me. This doesn't feel like me. It doesn't feel like my brand. It doesn't quite feel like the values align there. And then our job as designers is to be like, okay, well, why? Ask those why questions. Why do you feel like that doesn't fit? What is really sticking out that feels wrong? I actually feel like I love those conversations where it's like, what do you feel like resonates? What doesn't resonate? Because that's where you get to this beautiful end product. And if our clients loved the things on the first round, would they really be that good? I mean, I know sometimes we do have great stuff and I know I've had like, egotistical moments where I'm like, oh, the first thing that I do is beautiful. But those (laughs) times where like you get three rounds in and I look back on the first round, I'm like, you're right. That didn't fit with her. Like, you're right. That does not work quite as well as round three does. So it's interesting to like balance that. Yes, I feel all these things, but how can I move forward and work through it? What do you think about that? I completely agree with everything you said. I think when you shared that with me, when we were discussing this before, it made me think like, okay, yeah, like there is a little bit of ego that plays into this. Like as much as I try to be very self-aware and very just have a good understanding of like, you know, humility and humbleness and and stuff when I when I step into an expert role, kind of like having a servant leadership type of mindset, it can be difficult when you design something. You're like on a roll, you're vibing, Mm -hmm. you are in the zone and you make something and the letters just fit so well together. And you're like, they're going to love this. And like, maybe I didn't take a look at the brand strategy. Like maybe I didn't compare it to her notes. Like maybe I didn't go back to those brand visual words that I list out in the brand strategy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just kind of rushed into it too much. And like, there is a little bit of element of ego in that. And so you're so right. When I look back at other brands that do have refinements, like we include refinements in our packages for a reason. It's because mm-hmm. it's an important part of the process. And I think that like, one of the things I said to her during this process, when she was apologizing to me was like, Hey, it's okay. Like refinements are built into the project for a reason. This is not a unique situation. This has happened to me before. You know, even though like behind the scenes, I was a little emotional over it. Like I was really like validating to her that like her feedback, that I was grateful for it because it is always my goal to serve my clients at the highest level and for them to be super happy at the end. So I really did have to set that ego aside and like kind of nix some concepts that I felt were amazing, but that just didn't work for her. So it's not about me and it's not even really about her. It's about her client, right? We always have to bring them back to that strategy. I have a story that kind of like relates to that of a client that I was working on with a few months ago. We went through the whole creative direction strategy and design phase and we went through one round. I was like, yes, this is it. This is beautiful. I want to post this on my portfolio. Like this is, this is perfect. She's not going to have any edits at all. And she didn't love it. And it was more like, this isn't quite the vibe that I was going for. And one of the things she had said is she was like, I want it to be edgy and I want it to be minimal. And to me, that was edgy and it was minimal. And one of the conversations we had to have is like, okay, what does edgy mean to you? Like, what does it look like to you? What does it feel like to you? What does minimal mean to you? And having that conversation, because we have conversations with clients who don't know, quote unquote, design 
language or what we use when we search on Pinterest or whatever it is. You know, like we have those specific keywords, whereas their thoughts on edgy is so different. Um, So we had those conversations of like really going back to the drawing board. We had to redo the creative direction. And I just said, you know what? It's okay. We're going to scrap this. We're going to scrap all of it. And I'll keep it in my back pocket. I'll remember it and I'll look back on it sometimes just so I can like remember because I still love it. But it doesn't work for her because it wasn't what she had envisioned. And it wouldn't have worked for her business either. And now I'm glad because now I look back at the stuff that we did launch and it's absolutely breathtaking. But we wouldn't have gotten there without those conversations of like what words mean. It's all part of the journey, right? Yeah. Like- the stumbling blocks, the like the roadblocks, all of that stuff, it is all in service of the final result being everything that they had imagined and more. I almost wouldn't want to, there are times where I do wish like clients could just love it right away, but I almost don't want that most of the time. I want it. <laughs> I know. I think that when I worked in corporate life- I know life, you my, mean though. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. When I worked in corporate life, I had told my boss that. I was like, I like revisions because I feel like it'll make it better. And my boss was like, you are the only one. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, probably. But I know that in some ways, maybe that'll resonate with some listener of like, I want to make it to be literally ultimately perfect. I think that is resemblant of the perfectionist in me of like, I just want it to eventually get to this place where it's pristine. Although we know work is never finished. Yes. So many good nuggets here. And like, I completely understand where you're coming from with like, you know, enjoying the iterative process of design, because I do think that there is a lot of beauty in that. And it does show more of an expert status, right? Because you are showing the client that you're hearing them and you're hearing their feedback and you're internalizing it and yeah. you're putting it into the design. Like that's a reason why what we do is so valuable and such a unique skill. Branding is not the same as just graphic design. It is totally. a very niche type of skill. It takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of curiosity. It's very thoughtful. Yes, it's very thoughtful. I, I think I used the word intimate before. Because you are asking the clients to think about things and to tell you things and to share their fears and their goals and to tell you about their ideal client and their vision for their bit. Like there is Mm -hmm. so much that goes, even if you do the tiniest brand strategy, you're still having some sort of creative direction conversation with them. So just go easy on yourself. If I could go back a couple of weeks and be like, Jen, it's okay. This is kind of a hard skill and it's something that you just hone Home yeah. in the fire every single time. So going through that experience, I look back and I'm very grateful. And it wasn't the first time someone had like not loved something that I gave, but like, I guess for so long I had, I don't know, my ego had been built up a little bit where I was like, oh, like so minimal revisions. And I even share that mm. with clients where I'm like, oh, if you're nervous about like refinements, typically, you know, I have like, I say it like a 90% like success rate or something with like, I love if that we confidence. do refinements, then it's like very minimal and like small tweaks. And I try to like, my goal is always not to have refinements. So it did feel like, oh, I failed when the client didn't love it. But I love Esther, your perspective of like, hey, this is an opportunity to grow as a designer and to show the client how amazing I am at listening and internalizing and then putting it back out on the artboards. Totally. I actually say something similar in my calls, like in client calls, potential client calls. I'm like, yes, you have three revisions. Sometimes they ask like, what if I need a fourth one? I always say, if you have a fourth one, we can get to that and we can think about like what we need to do there. But I am confident that we're going to make it and it's going to be beautiful within the allotted revisions because generally it is. And that's not to say that it never will go past it, but you have that in in your contract for a reason. You have those revision rounds And if it does get to that point where things are going longer, you bake that into like, okay, we can now go into a post-project revision and that'll cost X amount of money and whatever and like keep going. But let them know, I'm confident that in three revisions, you're going to get it, if not sooner. Yes. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, 
dogs can sense your fear. Not to do the whole client dog metaphor because I've done that before. <laughs> it still feels weird. I don't look at clients as dogs. You guys are human beings. I have a human first <laughs> design business, all that. But like, you know, like if you are the leader in a situation and you have other people who are relying on you or looking to you, whether you're a parent or whether you're on a team or you're in an agency or whatever, then, you know, we don't have to use the dog metaphor. It's okay. Um, (laughs) Then like you need to emulate that emotion. And so it's the same exact thing when working with our clients. If you show up to a discovery call and you have this sense of calm, confidence, maybe a little bit of egos in there, but like, it's just, it's more of a like, it's more of a confidence thing than an ego thing. Then the clients will be like, wow, she has done this before. She really is, you know, very strong and confident in her process. And I've had clients literally give me that feedback before where they're like, wow, you explained everything so well. I'm really excited Mm. to see what this process is like. Because I tell people about my process. I'm like, we won't go into the details now. I'll walk you through it at every stage. I'll be in your inbox. I'll be supporting you. And just trust me that this process has been something that has worked for countless previous clients. And so they're like, okay, I'm excited. You know, So it's the same way on the opposite end. If you kind of go into a call where you're, you know, it's okay to be nervous. I still get nervous for sales calls. Everyone does. But if you're not feeling confident in the offer or you don't think that your process is very good or like you're just like, I don't know, just I've been there. I still am there. Sometimes I have really bad days where I have a call and I'm like, ooh, I came with just a not good energy. We can bring that also and apply it to revision calls when you hop on the call and like, rather than being like, oh my gosh, you don't like it. I'm so sorry. Like, uh, and being like, hey, this is a normal part of the process. Like, I'm excited to move to this next phase with you so that we can make it even better than it was. That's kind of what I tried to try to emulate when I was getting on those calls. I love that you said that of like just explaining it to them along the way. I think it's so important. I think we need to continuously be sharing like how we go about things because then they can understand us better. I even love how you showed your client your artboard. Like that is such a way to connect with them. Another example that I had of a client not loving something, well, we had gone through a couple of revisions and she felt so bad. She like, and I did not ever want her to feel bad. She was like, I just see like on your Instagram and on your portfolio, it's just like, everything looks like you get it done so easily. And it's like the first thing. And I was like, Hey, I appreciate that, but I want to stop you there because it's not true. Like you see the final product and they've gone through the same amount of digging into who they are and working through this together. And I want, I genuinely want you to get to a place where you are so freaking proud of what we're making together. I don't want you to feel that it's not quite there yet. So it's normal. And I think you have to also reiterate that like these processes are so normal. This is just what it is. And we're going to make it amazing. Yes. You're so supportive. I love that. Oh, you've got to be. Your clients need that support too, I feel like. They do. A lot of clients I've noticed, and I'm so grateful for this, they do see me as an expert, not only just in design, but sometimes in other areas as well, in owning your own business. These are people just like us who are out there trying to make it work. And so giving yourself grace, giving them grace, like reaffirming that it's okay that they're not loving something, guiding them in helpful feedback, you know, okay, what wasn't feeling right about it? You know, what about the typeface? You know, maybe let's look at it in black and white to see if maybe the color was skewing it a little bit. There's a lot of different ways that you can kind of guide them gently. And then that just makes you, makes them have a better experience with you because I don't know, I feel like a few years ago, I took everything so personally and I immediately got so defensive about negative feedback. And it's something that I still work on, but now, you know, it is a normal part of the process. And I'm like, you know what? This is not personal. This is business. They're paying me for a service. I'm a service provider. They're not saying that I'm a bad designer. No one has ever told me that in feedback. You know, like I've had other issues with clients, but like no one's ever been like, oh, this logo sucks. You suck. No one has ever said that. That's me telling myself that. And so I have to stop myself and be like, wait, this is just normal. (laughs) Yeah. So encourage yourself next time you have that thought. (laughs) Totally. And I think that one of the big things to remember is like vulnerability is powerful. If you're vulnerable with yourself and with your clients, 
it's going to make things so much better. I like to say at the beginning of, at the beginning of projects on our kickoff call, like, Hey, if you feel a way, don't hide it from me. Cause that's not going to make us get anywhere. Like, please be honest with me. I welcome honesty. I welcome your feedback. And they are very like, Oh, thank you. Like letting their guard down. Okay. Now like we can work. And Oh, something that I wanted to say earlier was you had said they've come to you as an expert. And that is totally true. Another way to think of it is they've come to you as a partner. So you want to work with them to make the best thing possible for their business. And it's not necessarily just like a transaction of, hey, design this for me. I'm going to put it out. Cool. It's, hey, can we work together to make the best decisions and position my business in the best way it can? Oh, that is such a good reframe of the client-designer relationship. And I think that that is something that you guys can be using in your messaging, in your marketing, in your emails, copy on your website. Maybe even a button call to action could be partner with us instead of inquire. Just to kind of really get that feeling from the get-go. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. So in those moments of self-doubt or any type of adversity, how do you build yourself back up? So good. I usually take it to my coach, but if you don't have a coach, you can take it to your designer bestie. I usually take it to a couple people. (laughs) I say, hey, look, this happened. I'm feeling this way about it. What's your take? Typically, my husband is ready to snap into action and like go bang down someone's door and like do a raid in someone's home. So he's not usually the first one I go to, um, but I'll talk to some designer friends. You know, I'll talk to my coach. Voxer is a great tool that I love using because I can record as long voice memos as I want. (laughs) And you all know I talk a lot. So that's really, really wonderful. I have a couple of design friends that like I just kind of like see as peers that I'm just like, okay, wait, quick gut check. What do you think? You know, and obviously I see Esther the same way. And we've had a lot of conversations like that over the past few weeks. It's really great to get someone else's opinion on something. But I think like, if that's not really a go-to thing, that's like what I like to do. But I also am an extrovert. I also love to talk. I also love chatting with people that gives me energy. If that's not how you like to react. And if that sounds like too much, then like, Maybe that means stepping away from the situation, getting away from your inbox, going on a walk, doing something alone, reading a book, just kind of trying to get your mind away from some of those emotions or maybe allow yourself to process or journal. It can look different for everyone, but I think it is important, A, to honor the feelings that you have and then B, to like do some self-reflection about like, okay, what am I, what's the deeper feeling here? Is there some sort of like inadequacy that I'm feeling? Is there some sort of like, limiting belief or, you know, some type of thought or story that you're telling yourself about how you're not good enough. A lot of that can manifest in anger or, you know, just like frustration, some of those more surface level emotions. So I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but I would love to hear Esther, how you kind of handle that too. Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, I wanted to like tag on to that. If you don't have necessarily designer friends, because I know that not everybody has either been established in the design world for that long. We, our Facebook group is a great place to connect with other designers and really just ask questions and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this right now. What do you guys think? And Jen and I are on there. There's tons of other people on there who are going to support you. So if you want to join us, you can just look up on Facebook, Better the Brand Designer Podcast, and we'd love to support you there. To answer your question, such though. Such a good plug. Such a good plug. Oh, yeah, plug. you know, love those it. plugs. <laughs> Y'all, please share your difficult client situations in the group. You'll have within minutes, like at least five people jumping in. It is such a great positive community. Yeah, totally. But yeah, for me, I kind of do the same thing. I have two or three close designer friends that I chat with and we'll send them a WhatsApp message or a Voxer and just kind of say like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And it's so nice to have those people. So definitely reach out to other designers and just even schedule a coffee chat to like get to know people so that you can like develop those relationships where you can be honest because it's easy to get stuck in ourselves. Like I feel like because I am a solo business owner, I don't have coworkers to turn to and be like, hey, this just happened. 
So you need those people around you. My husband will listen, but he doesn't understand in quite the same way. So I will go to him sometimes, but I like to go to my girlfriends first. And then in terms of like self-care, I think journaling is one of my favorite ways to like release emotions. I have this book that is called The Anti-Anxiety Notebook. I think that's what it's called. You can find it online if you type in Anti-Anxiety Notebook. And I write down like little things that have happened. So if a client didn't love my work and they said something, I'll write it down. And then the next day I'll go back and say like, okay, how can I reframe this? How can I think of this differently? And that has been super helpful for me to think through all of these situations because it's hard in the moment to know exactly how to react. But a day later, I'm like, okay, I can like think straight again and I can like work through this. I'm trying to get into the whole journaling thing. It's just like, I feel like it's just, takes so much time, but there have been so many journaling prompts that have like just come my way from different directions recently where I'm like, this could be a really, really powerful practice. So yeah, I just ordered a journal the other day (laughs) and I I got it personalized and stuff. So oh, that's awesome. Make me want to do it more often. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you could even start like once a week, like on Monday mornings, what's my intention for this week? And what did I struggle with last week? How can I be better? And then at the end of the week, maybe just saying like, how, like, what kind of patterns did I notice? Was I being, having fear this week? Was, was there scarcity mindset? Like, did I feel self-doubt? Like what kind of was going through your head and what can I do better next week? Because in the moment you get like clouded of it all, right? Yes. My brain is cloudy all the time. (laughs) I think that's mom brain. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I literally would leave my head at the house if I could. Like whenever I go, side note, whenever I go to yoga, I leave at least one personal item in the studio every single time. And now the people at yoga just know. They're like, oh, is that Jen's water bottle? Yep, it's Jen's. It's like, oh, she'll get it next time. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. But bringing things back to kind of the topic for the day and talking about when a client like is not loving something that you're making, we just kind of wanted to like wrap up with a few thoughts about how we can use these experiences to inform our future decisions. So actionable advice, guys. Esther kind of wrote out a couple of bullets about like questions that you can kind of ask yourself during the process or when it happens. Um, Do you want to dive into those? Yeah, sure. So I would just say when that does happen, because it's going to happen both to you guys and to Jen and I, inevitably, that's just kind of life. Think about these questions. What might not be working? How can I make this even better? What does the client actually really need? What are their thoughts behind this? How can I really dig into their emotional reactions? And then how can I reflect on this experience and use it as a learning opportunity for next time? All great journaling questions, questions to just ask yourself while you're going on a walk. I think the culmination of all my business experience has been all of the things that just went wrong. And I just took it, learned from it, and made it a little bit better next time. And then there's always going to be a new challenge. But that's kind of the fun part, right? Of like being your own business owner is that like, you get to do all the fun stuff and then there are going to be things that come out at you that you did not see coming. Not every day is the same. Everything looks different and it really is a journey of self-development and you know growth and personal maturity. And I'm so grateful to be able to identify some of those growth moments in myself over the past like year or so when I think like, okay, wait, what have I done that has contributed to this rather than blaming, shaming, you know, all of those types of reactions, which were a really big reality for me when I was newer to the design world and newer to running my own business. Yeah. I wish that I could like watch all of our listeners on their journey of when you first start and have these, these things. And then when you learn and grow from it a year later, I love you guys. I just wish I could like know every single one of you. Share everything. So Share it with us. Everyone go and DM Esther on Instagram right now. 
share with me what you learned. (laughs) Yeah. Genuinely. I would love to know, like, what are you struggling with? How can we support you guys? Love it. And also the Facebook group. The Facebook group. It can be really fun to post in there and say, hey, I had a a great win today. And it doesn't have to be money related, guys. Like I tell my friends all the time, like, hey, I had a win. I set a boundary today. Those are my favorite types of wins. So tell us like- My therapist would be so proud of you. Yes. (laughs) I always like celebrate that. And I don't know. That's like, that was a really, really big thing for me this year. But um post about that stuff and share about, hey, the client hated it. And then I did this and then they loved it. You know, just people can learn from, from everyone. All right, let's dive into our inbox question for today. Um, I'll read it. And then Esther, you can kind of dive into your answer. Mackenzie Chapman asks, how do you present your initial designs to the client? What do you include? How many logo or secondary logo ideas? How many fonts and where to get fonts slash legalities? Do you Photoshop a mock-up and include that? And then she said, like, what do you do? LOL. Mackenzie, we've got you. Mackenzie, I feel you. I feel like when you first start out, it's hard to know, like, what is the standard? Like, what are you supposed to do? What does everybody else do? And the answer is everybody does something a little different, but I wanted to share a little bit of what my process is. So when I kick off a call, I let them know that I'm going to spend the first little bit of time diving into strategy and diving into creative direction. So before I present any actual design work, I always start with that creative direction because like we talked about earlier in this episode, you really want to get that like solid foundation down before you present any design work. Otherwise you tend to go through a lot of revisions. So in that creative direction, it's a stylescape of inspiration, possible logo ideas, some potential illustration direction, some font concepts. And usually from there, I'll show like 20 to 30, it's like a mood board on steroids, 20 to 30 images, and they're pulled from random different places. I don't purchase any of the fonts at that point. I just pull some images from those fonts, like whether you find it somewhere and they have those header images, just dragging those in so they can get an idea of what is it going to feel like as a whole. So from there, I'm not purchasing anything. And then when we get into a design review, that's after we've gone through and said like, okay, this works, this doesn't work. I like this. I don't like this. We'll start to actually design something out. And that's where I'll present initial designs. And I use this, and I think Jen, you do too as well. I use the one concept method. So that means I only show one actual logo version, but that logo is manifested in different ways or one brand version and that brand is manifested in different ways. So it'll include one primary logo, a description of why I made every single choice within that, within the mark and within the type. I'll show one to two secondary logos. So those are basically just, it's now horizontal or now it's stacked. And then one to two submarks. And then I'll show one font hierarchy, which is two to three fonts. So you have your header, your subhead, and your body copy a color palette, and then descriptions of everything so that they can really understand the rationale behind it. And then in terms of your question to a mock-up, I do like to show a mock-up just because I think it's hard for clients to visualize things sometimes. So I show one very easy, and I want to repeat, very easy mock-up. Please don't spend a lot of time on it. I think that they just need a little bit of something to see it and know exactly what like it could look like. So maybe that looks like a business card or a storefront or a very quick print layout. Something that takes me like 10 to 15 minutes max because it's not the real thing. It's just really a tool to show them what it looks like. So this feels like a lot, but at the same time, it's kind of just like reiterations of everything so they can see things in different ways and really understand this whole one concept. What do you do, Jen? My process is actually very, very similar to yours. I think a lot of listeners might find some similarities here. I love that you do a stylescape. Do you do a mood board or is it like kind of a different name for that? It's like a stylescape, I would say is like a mood board on steroids. So it's kind of like a mood board, but you have like 20 to 30, just like everything together. And sometimes I show two different stylescapes. Like if I think that you could go in two different directions just so we can see them side by side. But I think that it's, for me at least, it's been more helpful in seeing everything 
up on the page and really get an idea of like, oh, okay, I can feel the brand here. Yes. Oh, that is so cool. Because I I do a mood board that has a mix of photography, typography, color, mood, I guess, vibe, if you want to say that. Um, But I love the idea of kind of having a little bit more because I pull so many inspiration pieces and then there's only 12 little squares in my mood board. So I would love to like kind of experiment with doing some sort of stylescape. I think that is so cool because you can include illustration direction, all that. Um, As far as like deliverables, um, it does changes for every client, but typically I deliver the same amount, one primary logo. Maybe I do a a secondary or tertiary, depending on if the letters lend themselves to that. Um, For, yeah, so secondary logos and then submarks, I do one to two. Um, I... It's actually funny. My concept presentation actually does not have any rationale in it. It's just the logos and what they are. And it doesn't have any rationale. I took that part out because I realized I was spending hours writing it through. And I, um, you probably might do this too, but I record a Loom video of me walking them through the presentation where I talk about, I say my rationale, I just say it out loud. Um, I just don't really prepare. I just talk through it as if we were on a call and I was presenting it to them live. They can give feedback on the Loom video or whatever, but um, I don't know. And I'm thinking like, maybe if I put rationale in there, maybe people would, it would be easier. But then there are some clients that like probably won't read it. (laughs) I don't know. So I think it's interesting, like the different, the different methods, like you just kind of voice it over. Um, I, I think that there's no right answer, right? Like, I think that your personality lends itself more to just like kind of talk and like, let it go, let it flow. (laughs) And my personality is like, I like to be like extremely, maybe to a fault prepared. Cause I'm like, okay, now I can like kind of read off of what I'm, what I've written and then like ad lib a little bit, but at least I can have my thoughts straight when I'm working on other stuff too. Yeah. That is, I mean, it is like such a great testimony to like, whatever feels good for you is right. You know? And like, if it's working for you, then wonderful. If it's not working for you, tweak and change and iterate and try. And, you know, that's the beauty of, again, like running your business is that like, there really is no like right way to do things as much as people might say there is like, I don't know, at least me and Esther's perspective is that like, whatever feels right for you. And if it's working, then like, then you go girl, you know? Um, Yes, yes, yes. A hundred times. Yes. I do include a couple more mock-ups. I do like five to six to seven mock-ups. I have a whole section of my concept presentation where I go heavy on the mock-ups, mainly because I'm going to make them anyways for my portfolio. So I thought I may as well like just include them in the concept presentation. And so- Do you do that in the first concept? I do. Do you do that in the Um, first? The very first concept. Okay. Yeah. I show like, it's a pretty built out, like there's a lot of (laughs) mock-ups that I include, but like- you don't have to do a lot of mock-ups for the clients who approve it. Sometimes it's exciting for them to just see a peek. Like, hey, here's a sneak peek yeah. of what your brand could look like. And so I do like that perspective of like maybe keeping it, you know, keeping it a little bit closer and being like, hey, like, what do you think? And also one drawback of doing a ton of mock-ups is that when you do revisions, you have to update all of the mock-ups every single time. It's a huge time suck. Yeah, but that's I don't why know. I don't maybe like I'll, doing maybe a ton. It. <laughs> you might be smart here. I think it's just like, we all have so many different ways to go about it. Yeah. I can reiterate that so many yeah. times. And I feel like we could do a whole episode on yeah, this client is, presentations. Yeah, this is a inbox question. Yeah, we we actually, we have done a, an episode. I can't remember what season it was in. I think there's an episode in season one called Presenting Concepts to Clients. If you guys want are interested in hearing more about the one concept method, you can go back and listen to that. We definitely need to refresh that because I am starting to iterate on my one concept method. I've shared mm. this a little bit on Instagram and with Esther, but like there are some changes that I've been making. And so, so much more content to record for you guys. Totally. Oh, another thing that I did want to answer for Mackenzie is where she asked, where do you get fonts slash legalities? Do you Photoshop mock up and include that with the package? For fonts and legalities, when I present these like initial concepts, I purchase the desktop font for myself. So I have the desktop personal license. Once a client does approve it and we're going to actually use it for everything, then we'll purchase a 
license that is respective to what they're using it for. So if it's a web font license for a certain amount of page views, or if it's going on print or packaging, then looking into what exactly is right for that. But I don't purchase it until we're ready to actually use it. I do the same. I purchase the desktop for myself for exploration purposes. Yeah. I mean, I have so many fonts that I've purchased for myself too. Like (laughs) there's too many in there. I know. We'll have to do like a little video of like, hey, peek into our font libraries. Spoiler alert, mine's not organized at all. (laughs) I'm going to put together a thing for you. I use XD to organize all my fonts. So I just have like these. I know it's crazy. I'll show it to you. So basically, you know how like if you look on Google fonts and there's those blocks, I created those blocks for myself. And then just change out all the fonts on them and then categorize them onto the specific artboard of what it's used for. So that way I can look back and see like, oh, for this project, I need like a script font or this project, I need something that's like a slab serif. Dude, that's genius because a font book is the worst and crashes and buggy. And I've tried other paid things. Honestly, right now I just have a folder in my finder and it has all my fonts in it. And I do not organize by like style or anything. It's so, it's so bad. You should make this into a freebie and like, you know, (laughs) give it away for, for emails. You should totally do it. That's a great idea. Okay. Well guys go in the Facebook group and hopefully by now Esther has like put together a little freebie and you can sign up and get it in the Facebook group. Cause I think a lot of people would really benefit from that. Yeah. Um, And then for mock-ups, last thing for this question for mock-ups, I use Moyo studios for mock-ups and I just have a folder of the ones that I've purchased and that I love and I use reuse them for pretty much every client presentation just because it's easy and I've got them. So I believe we have a Moyo affiliate code if you want to look at our resources page and they have beautiful photography. So check them out. Yes, I love Moyo. I know Giselle was also a huge fan of Moyo. So especially if you have a specific aesthetic, they kind of fit really well into a lot of different aesthetics, but you can keep all of your mock-ups very like consistent and beautiful. So awesome. Well, Mackenzie, let us know in the Facebook group if that was helpful, if you have any additional questions and we are going to wrap up, but we will see you guys in next week's episode. Thanks yeah, for hanging thanks, out. guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Subscribe wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss an episode. And we'd be forever grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We bet you got designer friends who'd enjoy it too, so share it with them. If you'd like to submit an inbox question for us to answer on air or want to get in contact with us directly, email us at inbox at betterbranddesigner.com. If you love these conversations between designer friends and would like to support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash betterpodcast. Our Facebook community is one of the most positive, supportive, and fun groups we've ever been a part of. We'd love for you to join us. So search for Better, the Brand Designer Podcast on Facebook. And visit us online at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more about our podcast and snag major discounts on our favorite resources. Special thank you to our producer, John, from Wayfair Recording Co. See you guys again next week.